Good morning, TJC. <laughs> Thank you for that. I am excited to, to be here again. I was here with you all a few months ago, and I'm excited to be here again despite the, the circumstances. I've been uh, praying for Pastor Matt, and um, I've just been praying for a speedy recovery. And um, me and my wife are, once again, excited to be here. Last time we were here, uh, we, we were pregnant, and now we have a baby, so it's, it's cool just uh, thinking about that. Thank you so much. Um, so I, I want to uh, just read. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, and then I'm going to pray us into the message, and we're going to, we're going to dive on in. It's the, screen, the, the, should, the verses should be up there on the screen in, in front of you. Hebrews 12, we're only going to be breaking down verses 1 through 2. Listen to what uh, the Hebrew author says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us also lay aside every weight and sin, which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us pray. Dear God, we, we come to you eager to hear a word from you. God, we want your praises to just always be on our lips. Open our eyes to all of the, your blessings. Give us the strength to run this race of this Christian faith. This world makes it extremely difficult to follow you, God. Our flesh makes it difficult to follow you. Holy Spirit, we need you. We love you. We thank you for all that you have done. And we lift up Matt. In your beautiful name. Amen. So as a Christian, we should think about heaven often, right? Heaven is the end goal of our faith. It's the final destination. It's why we are here at, at church. It's why Jesus sacrificed himself on, on the cross. But we should all know that heaven within itself, listen to this, heaven within itself means means nothing. This is what I mean by that. Heaven is the end goal, not because it's going to be this magical place that we go to where there's going to be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears, right? Not because heaven will be this eternal, uh, everlasting vacation, free from work, free from being tired. No, heaven is the end goal because that's the place where man and God will reign together forever and eternity. Heaven is the end goal because we will be there. In other words, heaven is only the end goal because that's the place where man and God will perfectly be with one another in complete unity. And because of that, there will be no more pain because see, pain only exists in the absence of God's full presence. Right. That feeling of being tired and exhausted for whatever it is that this life is beating you up on. That's only there because we are not one with God. He is not here fully right we know he is here right now we know we feel his presence we just got to sing it to him we know he is here but right now in this earth we have to run to him to go into his presence in heaven we don't have to run to him because we will already be there with him completely in unity with him that's why heaven is heaven not because it's this special place but because god will be there and we will be with him perfectly complete unity unhindered no more thing what does he want from us? No, no more trying to figure out which way he's trying to point us because we will be with them. Right. That's worth thinking about 
often, weekly, daily. When you think about heaven often, a lot of curious questions will start to bubble up in your mind as well, right? Questions like, what is it going to be like? What does eternity even mean? Will there be time in heaven? Will I see my pets in heaven, right? There's all these questions that we just start being curious about, right? There's all these questions that will spark in us when we think about heaven. I'm sure all of us right now, if I gave us five minutes to write down questions you have about heaven, it would take you no time to, to, to fill out that. It would be a long list, list of paper, sheet of paper. You would even include questions that you maybe would want to ask God specifically right if i asked you to write down 10 questions you're going to want to ask god specifically in heaven once again you'll be able to write them out quick jesus why did you do this and that and how come this happened and and that happened why why did all this not because of doubt but just because out of mere curiosity you just want to know more about the god of of the universe right but i I would like to to flip the script i would like to flip the script i'm sure all of us in here has a long list of questions that we would want to Ask him, but let's flip it. What if I told you God, the creator of the universe, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, the triune God had a question for you, right? We always have questions for him. What if he had a question for us? What do you think the question would be? What do you think he would say? If I was the guest, this is, I think the question would go something like this. He would make it individually. He would individually ask us this. I'm going to make it personally for me. He would say, Anthony. Why do you continue to let the same sin get in the way between me and you? I think that question will be familiar to you all as well. Why do you continue to let the same stuff, the same mess, the same sin get in the way between me and and my love and my grace that I have for you? See, we all have a problem. God has given us everything that we could ever ask for. He has created us in his image. He has given us this beautiful world to live in. And all he asks us to do is just love him. And we know true love is not just saying, I love you, God, with our lips. But true love is found in following him and obeying him. If we would have done that, then nothing would have gotten away between man and God. But here comes the serpent in the Garden of of Eden, tempting Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve had everything that they cost could have possibly dreamed of, and they let the serpent get in the way between them and God. And we do the exact same thing. There's so many things that's getting in the way between us and God. I think that's the question that he would ask us. Why do you continue to let things get in the way between me and, and you? See, we find ourselves with many questions about God. But I don't think we think about him asking us questions. Watch all these questions Jesus asked his disciples and other people throughout the Gospels. This should be on the screen in front of him. He's going to go through four questions. In Matthew 14, Peter walks on water. And then what happens? He starts to doubt. He looks down. And then what does Jesus say to him? He said, oh, you have little faith. What did he say? Why did you doubt? Then in, in Matthew 22, the Pharisees, they come to Jesus and they question him. They try to trick him and, and, and ask him questions about taxes and, and, and paying to Caesar and what does Jesus say? He says, why do you put me to the test? He asked him this question. Why do you put me to the test? Then he calls them hypocrites. Watch John 6. Jesus is preaching to the crowd. And then he says something. He says, I am the bread of life. And then the people in the crowd are like, wait a minute, the bread of life. Yeah, I have to eat you to be. What, what is that? I don't understand. And then the crowd start to walk off. They start to leave. And then Jesus looked at his disciples. And you remember what he said? He says, do you want to go away with them as well? Listen, look at the question that he asked his disciples. 
And then here's a, a popular, famous question that we know. In John 21, he asks Peter. He says, Peter, what does he say? Do you love me? So you see all these questions that God is asking his people. I think he asks us. These que- and this is the thing about these questions. These questions normally highlight a problem that we have. Think about it. Why did you doubt? Why did you put me to the test? Are you just going to leave me like, like everyone else, right? Do you love me? These are things that get in the way of our faith. These are things that get in the way from us and God, and this can't be so. For some of you, maybe it's pain and it's fear that's getting in the way between you and God. And Jesus is asking you, oh, you of little faith, why? Why did you doubt? For some of you, it's a lack of trust in his will, and he's asking you, He's asking you, why do you put me to the test? Haven't I already proven to you who I am and what I can can do? Or others is pride and instant gratific- gratification. So instead of surrendering everything to him, you're chasing after the world, right? Sex, drugs, alcohol, success, money, all of these things. And Jesus is trying to tell you that he is the bread of life. But you don't listen. And he's asking you, do you just want to go away as well? Just chase after the world like everyone Everyone else, we have a problem. We let things get in the way of our God. And scripture is the only thing that will show us how to lay aside those things, right? And look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So what we're going to do is going to walk through Hebrews 1 to 2 and see how we can lay aside these distractions, lay aside these sins, because God's word is the only thing that can speak to this problem. But before we read it again, I want to just walk through the context very quickly uh, of this passage. The, the Hebrew author is writing to the church because they're having trouble in their, their faith. We know persecution is, is normally always involved in the New Testament church. It's in persecution. It leads to fear. It leads to pain. It leads to people being fear and getting outcasted by the rest of society. Because of this, the church needed encouragement. And this is how the author encouraged this, this church. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance of faith that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, for who the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and seated at the right hand of the throne. Of God. So let's break these two down. This is how I want us. This is the lens that I want us to see. Verse one is talking about is telling us what to do. The author is telling us what to do. Lay aside every weight and sin. And then verse two is going to tell us how to do it. It says, look to Jesus. But let's just walk through first. Verse one, it says, therefore, let's start with therefore. We know when the Bible uses the word therefore, it's always building off of a previous point that it made earlier. Right. So it says, therefore, we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witness. Well, who is the cloud of witness that the author is is referring to? Well, the writer tells us this in the previous point. He gives a long list of some names. He's in chapter 11. He says Abraham and Isaac and Joseph and Moses and Israel when they were walking through the Red Sea. And and when they uh, walked around the walls of Jericho, it was Samuel and Rahab and Gideon, Barak and Samson and David. All of these people are the cloud of witness. Why? Why are they? It's because people of God who showed faith. These are Old Testament saints who showed obedience by removing whatever it was that was getting in the way for them in order to obey God. Think about Abraham. He was willing to lay aside his son, Isaac, to be sacrificed. Think about Israel. 
They were willing to lay aside their fear to walk across dry land as the sea was being split. Right. This list of Old Testament saints are used by the Hebrew author to encourage the church to to keep going. And what's even more interesting how he says he says we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witness. This language is meant to show this connection that the New Testament church has with the Old Testament saints. Now, that's very important. We need to lock in on that because there's a lot of people who say that the Old Testament doesn't matter, that the Old Testament isn't important. The Old Testament can't really do anything. And that doesn't seem what Scripture is saying at all. Matter of fact, Scripture looks like it's, it's saying that the Old Testament saints, the Old Covenant was actually inspiring and molding. They He used this to encourage them in their faith. In other words, if Moses laid aside his fear and concerns to lead God's people out of Egypt, then so can we, right? We can do it as well. We can do whatever it is that God is telling us to do. And this is what he's telling us to do right here in in the same verse. Verse 1, it says, let lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely to us. There's two things that he's telling us to lay aside, right? He says lay aside every weight and sin. We know sin, right? We know what it means to lay aside our sin. There's a long list of sins in the Bible that warns us from it. So just in case some of you all forgot, let me just walk through Colossians 3, 5. Paul says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. Then he says, why? You better lay these aside. Verse 6, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put, a, put them all the way. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So look, the, the Bible is multiple lists like that where it's saying lay aside every sin. We know what that means, lay aside the sin. But what is he talking about? What is he referring to when he says lay aside every weight? What does he mean by that? I think what he's what he's saying is he's lay lay aside every distraction. Right. Lay us. And these things may not necessarily be sins, but they are getting in the way between you and you and God. So maybe that's some dreams that you continue to chase after. And God is trying to close the door. And get you to focus on something else. But every time God closes the door, you just try to hurry up and throw a little door stopper at the door to keep it open so you can run back to that. When you know God is telling you to close that door, maybe that's a weight, that's a distraction. For some of you, maybe it's a job. Maybe that job is, is taking too much out of you. You're working 50, 60, 70 hours out of the week and it's getting in the way of your church attendance. You're not even being there for your family. And you feel the Holy Spirit is saying, find something else. I will provide for you. I will provide for you. Find something else. And, you, and you, you, you let it get in the way. You let it weigh you down. Maybe some of it's a hobby, right? It could be anything. Maybe you want to play golf every other day and it's getting away from your family time. Whatever it is, Scripture says, lay aside every weight. And these things may not necessarily be sinful things, but there are weights that are holding you back, getting in the way. What the verse says, they cling so closely to you. Continue, continue verse 1, it says, lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely to you and let us run with endurance the race set before us. This is the image the writer is trying to show us. You ever notice a marathon runner? He, doesn't, he or she doesn't run in jeans and boots. 
You ever, you ever notice that? You'll, you'll, hopefully you'll, you'll never see that. If you've seen that, this is what we, we would look and be like, uh, buddy, that's, isn't that going to slow you, slow you down? We're going to say that person isn't going to win, right? It's, it's a no-brainer. That person's not going to come in, in any of the top positions, right? Because it's holding a, a marathon runner may show up in the race with clothes that are not fit to run in. But right before the race, he or she takes off their clothes and lays them aside because if not, they would not have the proper attire to run. This is the image that the Hebrew author is trying to convey to us. This is the same thing scripture is telling us to lay aside whatever it is that is getting in the way that's clinging too close where it affects our endurance to run the race. So we know that race is the race of faith. And we know that this race is not a sprint. It's not a sprint at all. It's going to take a few seconds. This race, is a, it's a marathon. It's going to take a long time to, to finish this, which means it requires an endurance. We have to lay aside the things that's getting in the way of that. So I said, verse 1 is going to tell us what to do, right? It's going to tell us what. Scripture first encourages us by pointing us to the Old Testament saints. Then it tells us what to do. Get rid of, lay aside any and everything that's getting in the way of you and Jesus. That's what he's telling us to do. Remember, Jesus asked all of us, why are you letting the same stuff get in the way between me and you? I think that's the common question he's asking in some way to all of us. All of us, he's asking us. He wants us to run the race that verse one says is set before us. And watch this. When it says set before us, he's referring to something that he's already established back a couple chapters ago. In, in chapter six, I'm just going to read verse 18. I'm not going to go into complete detail, but you're going to see what it means about set before us. Verse 18 in chapter six says, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. We who have fled for the refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to this hope set before us, to the hope set before us. That's that theme. What is set before us? It's hope. Hope is set before us. Remember, the end goal of Christianity is what? Heaven. It's just that hope to be with God forever, unhindered. Although times it may feel like we're running in the opposite direction of heaven. At times, maybe we feel like we're running and there's so many things that's clinging on to us. Right? All these sins and distraction. Verse one tells us what to do. Lay them aside. Lay down the sin. Lay down the distractions aside. Verse one tells us what to do. Then verse two tells us how to actually do it. It says right here in these three words to say it together. It says looking to Jesus. That's how we actually do it. Looking to to Jesus is interesting. Watch how this is written. He's very strategic in how you, he, he wrote this out. Hebrew gives us the Old Testament saints to inspire, to motivate, right? They did it. So, so can you to encourage us. They can, they ran the race. We can re, we can keep running, right? They set aside their fears and sins and persecution, right? We can set them aside as well. He used them to inspire us, but we need way more than inspiration to truly lay our sin aside. Don't we? Inspiration isn't good enough. We need Jesus himself to actually do it, right? The Old Testament saints are our inspiration. We look back at them and said, okay, Moses did it. I can't do it. He's a human just like, like me. They're inspiration, but Jesus, he's our strength. He's our power. He's the only way we can actually do it, but our eyes must be focused on him, 
must be locked on to him. And here's the thing about looking to Jesus. Definitely us in, in the Bible Belt in the South, right? We can deceive ourselves by thinking we are looking to Jesus when in all actuality we're not. Here's what I mean. Some, sometimes we find ourselves looking at Jesus while at the same time leaning on something else. So our eyes are on him, but we're leaning on, on something else. Uh, so, so this is what it looks like practically. You go to church, you pray, you know all the right things to say, you know all the right things to do, but something else in this world has your attention over Jesus. Something else in this world has a hold of your heart. And in your mind, you're looking at him, but you're leaning on whatever that thing looks like. And here's the scary thing about this. You won't ever know that you're leaning on something else until Jesus comes and he just moves that thing that you're leaning on and you find yourself falling flat on your back. Boom. And at the time, it's a, it's a newsflash because you're, you, in your mind, you're, you're going to church, you're doing all these right things. You think you're looking at him, but you're leaning on other things. You're leaning on your job for security. In your mind, you thinking that, oh, yeah, God, you're my provider. But deep down inside, there's so much pride in all of the money that you may potentially be making. And that's truly your security. And then as soon as your job gets threatened, you feel like your whole world is just ruined. You feel like your whole world is flipped upside down. And maybe you're, you're leaning on your marriage for joy that only God can truly give you. And you don't know it until your spouse uh, upsets you or hurts you on accident. And in, in reality, it's really not that big of a deal. And you just lash out on them like it's the end of the world. The problem is you're expecting your spouse to give you something that only God can, can give you. Right? There's all these things. You attack them this way because of that. All your joy is gone. This can happen as you're in church, when you're worshiping, singing, reading scripture, praying, doing all of the good things that a Christian is supposed to do. You think that you're looking at them, but in reality, your eyes are set on them, but you're leaning on, on something else, and then you fall. Many Christians find themselves looking at Jesus, but not leaning on him, depending on him, surrendering to him. Once again, we'll go to him in prayer. We'll go to church. That's looking at him, but deep down inside, something else is sitting in the throne of your heart, and it's not the king of, of all kings. Let's continue in verse two. It says, looking to Jesus. Why should we do this? Here's the answer right here. Because he's the founder and perfecter of our faith. Founder and perfecter of our faith. A major theme throughout the book of Hebrew is this author is focusing on Jesus' humanity. So we know he's fully God. He's fully man. But the Hebrew author beautifully just kind of emphasized why it's so important for him to have to be fully man. Right. We know Jesus was a man and he was the first and only one to run the race and complete perfection. Right. The Old Testament states they ran the race, they completed. But we know that they were failures. We know the failures of David and Moses. We know all of their their failures. But Jesus, he ran and completed the race perfectly. No, no failures. But here's the kicker right here. Not only did he finish with perfection, he has a 100 percent success rate in giving his children the strength to finish as well. But our eyes must be locked onto him because he shows us how to truly do it. Let's continue in verse two. It says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is how Jesus finished his race. He focused on the joy that was set 
before him. He, he, because he endured the cross, even when he despised the shame, the cross was the most humiliating way to die in, in this culture. But he despised the shame and he still sacrificed himself. He did it by focusing on joy. Just imagine just that picture in the garden of Gethsemane when he's he's on his hands and knees and he's sweating and his blood's coming out. How do you how do you get through that? It was interesting. I was going over this today and it just popped in my head. Hope is so strong. Only hope can cause you to cling on to a feeling that you don't feel at the moment in spite of the feeling that you feel right now. This is what I mean by that. You can be in so much pain right now in this very moment. But continue to go forward because you're locking on an experience, a, a feeling that you're not feeling right now. And that's joy. That makes sense. You can be so much pain. You can be sobbing. Tears be flying. That you feel like a, someone just stabbed something in your heart. That's terrible. That feeling is terrible. But hope will cause you to lay aside that feeling and continue to keep going because something is set before us. We have an end goal and it's heaven. Focusing on the joy that was set before. Remember that phrase set before him. This is what was set before him. Jesus was to sit at the right hand of the throne of his father forever. He endured the cross and finished the race because he had a throne to claim and it gets better. He had a bride and her name is called the church to come and claim that throne with him. When we look at Jesus, when we look to him, when we lean on him, guess what happens? We set aside every weight and sin. We have enough strength and endurance to run the race. We complete the race because the race in reality is already completed for us. When we truly lean on him, when we place our identity in him, we experience heaven for eternity by being in perfect unity with the God, with the king of the universe. But here's the question that I really want us to soak into our hearts. And here's the question I'm going to close with. Why do we continue to let things get in the way of that? Why do we continue to let that happen? The Journey Church in Hartsful, let this be our answer next time Jesus asks us this question. Next time he asks us why do we continue to let these things get in the way? Let us respond like this. We, this happens, Jesus, because I'm a sinner. And Jesus, if you help me lock my eyes on you, it will never happen again. It won't happen again, Jesus, if you help me lock my eyes on you. So here's two application points that I'm just going to close with. And I'm just going to pray and we're going to move into communion. Two quick points. Number one, lay aside every sin and distraction. And you, but you, number two, you won't do that unless you do number two. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Let us, let us pray, church. Dear God, everyone in this room right now, has that one, two, three, four, five, twenty things, if you're anyone like me, twenty things that's getting in the way between us and the God of the universe. We do not have enough strength within ourselves, God, to lay them aside. Our eyes must be on you. We must be locked on you, God. Holy Spirit, I pray that you just convict right now all of the things that the people are going through in this room who need to just lay it aside. You're telling them there's so much of my glory that I want to show you 
but you're getting in the way. There's so much joy. There's so much hope. There's so much love. But you have to lay aside whatever it is. If it's anger, if it's frustration, if it's the people that you need to forgive, if it's pride, if it's lust, whatever it is. If it's gossiping, if it's being greedy, if it's being lazy, if whatever it is, God. You desire for us to lay them aside. Here's the beauty, though. You don't just sit back and say, lay it aside. You say, look at me. And if you look at me, you will have the ability to lay each sin and each weight, each distraction, fear, pain, struggle, whatever it is, worldliness, whatever it is, God. Holy Spirit, please be here this morning. Let us live out our week laying aside every sin and every distraction because we're in a race. We're on a marathon. We're running to the end goal, which is heaven. And we know heaven is only heaven because you are there, God. We give you all the praise and the glory. Please be with us. In your name, let the church say, Amen. Thank you, church.